I'm loving the Olympics. Anybody else? Yeah. Loving the Olympics. But you know, I love the gymnastics. I like the swimming. But you know what I like? I like the sport that no one watches, that no one gets crazy, like field hockey. Handball. Table tennis. I was getting excited about badminton online. I was like, yeah! Slam that birdie thing, whatever it is. I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some people out there. These are the best people in the world at badminton. And like, it's like, there's like Laotians like going crazy. It's amazing. I mean, I love, I love those sports because these guys aren't getting any money from it. They're not famous. They're the, just the best in the world at table tennis or whatever it is. Um, I want to start a field hockey team and Brazil in 2016. Anybody with me? Okay, you're laughing at me, right? You watch. You watch little Tom with a little hockey stick. But today we're talking about something that I think is very, very important, actually. And I'm going to say this. The title of the sermon is, We Are Life Givers. And I want to ask you guys, are we life givers? Yes. We absolutely are. We absolutely are. And I want to make sure that you walk out of here going, you know what? Not just church, we're life givers. You know, it's like Hope Chapel, we're life givers. I want you to walk out here and go, dude, I'm a life giver. You know, you look at yourself and go, I give life. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, if God has empowered you, we have the ability to give life to people. We are life givers, right? And we can either hoard that, right, keep it to ourselves and go, ooh, yeah, Jesus, you know, or we're, or we're give it away. And let me tell you one thing, we are actually called to give it away. We are called to be life givers. Jesus commanded us to do so. And if you've been here a while, under Pastor Ralph Moore, the founder of our church, mm-mm, yeah, yup, yup, um, what's one thing you would always call this church? A church should be, our church should be this. All right, so you guys have been here since Carl, and you don't know who Pastor Ralph is. He, he would call our church a hospital. How many of you guys heard that before? That our church should be a hospital, Right? It should, right? Because um, the broken and the lame and the hurt and the people that come in here, there's people sitting right here. You're broken. You're hurt. You need transformation. You need healing from Jesus Christ. And I and promise you, if you walk in here, if you come face to face with the living God, you will not leave the same. We have a motto here that says, we'll love you just as you are, right? Is that it? <laughs> we'll love you as is, that, that's the, we love you, which is absolutely true. We love you as is. You can come just as you are with your baggage, right? Denial, anger, what, like that guy had all that baggage, whatever it is. You guys come in here with all that baggage. Come, come as just you are. But you know what? There's a dot, 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 but you're not going to leave the same. Amen. You shouldn't leave the same. Why? Because if you, if you experience Jesus Christ, you will be a changed person. I know I am. I know there's a lot of people here, they're changed people, and we should be a hospital. And um, I know a lot of things about hospitals now, because I spent three weeks in the hospital. Kapiolani, if you want to take a tour of Kapiolani, I know all the ins and outs. I know, I know the secret from the parking lot to, to, to the third level. I'm there, because my wife was there for, you know, two and a half weeks. We were there for a long time, when, uh, giving birth to my twins. They're doing really healthy right now. Uh, they're at home, yeah? But, um... I want to just say one thing. If you are a nurse or a doctor, uh, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I just want to give you a, a hand. I'll give you a hug, but let's give, give these people a hand. <laughs> these guys have taken up their lives to be life givers. Amen. They have 
they do, I mean, I, I watched them take care of my wife, take care of me. I watched them change our sheets and, and do all this stuff and take care of all the instruments and making sure we're doing all right and giving us crappy food. And then, you know, it's like, you know, see, if I was okay, if I had enough blankets on my, my whatever chair that turned into this really awful bed, like, I was like, uh, yeah, you know, it was, I mean, they really made sure that we are comfortable. But is comfort their priority? Absolutely not. They don't, you know, the health, well-being, healing, and life is their priority. They want us to leave healthy and alive and transformed, right? My wife was going through things. She was retaining water, um, and so she was swelling up. She had all these monitors on, you know, on the, on the babies. With the, the, they had, she, she was hooked up to the IV, right? And so the only way to cure um, um, retaining water, my wife is going to hate me for saying this, but you got to pee a lot. And so they, took, they gave her medicine to pee a lot. So imagine having to go pee every 20 minutes with an IV, with these monitors on. I'm like, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world, but that's not their job is to make, make us comfortable. That's not their priority. It's for healing. It's for life. Are you, hear, are you hearing me? Amen. And that's what we're supposed to do. When people walk in here, when the broken walk in here, and the people that need help walk in here, walk into our mini church, come into interaction with us, we have the ability and the capability of giving them life. And that life is called Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Amen. But the, here's the thing. If we aren't a hospital, if we are just here to do the nice thing and the comfortable thing, and we don't do the uncomfortable things that need to happen, just like how they, they had to do with my wife, they had to do uncomfortable things to, to ensure her well-being. If we don't take up the, the, some of the tough things that we need to do, if we're just kind of nice people and people come and they leave unchanged, you know what we are? We're not a hospital. We're a hotel. I don't want to be a hotel. Hotels are great, but no one walks or we changed or healed. There's no tools, but I want to tell you this. God has empowered us with the tools for spiritual maturity and freedom for people. You guys believe me? Yeah. Are we life givers? Yeah. yeah, we are. And I want you at the end of the sermon know that for a fact. You're going to go, yes, I am a life giver. And um, I want you guys to turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. And before that, I just want to pray because I, I, I really believe that we all need to take this into account. Lord, I just thank you so much for all you've done for us, Father God. You've empowered us. You've given us the privilege and the honor of being an ambassador, a light for you, God. And I pray that we do not take that lightly, that we all go, you know what? I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to be a life giver because I have the capability of doing it. Thank you so much for giving that to me. And I pray, Father God, for all of us that we would change and transform hearts around us. We just thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. And the reason why I am talking about the uncomfortable things, the tough things that we need to do as believers, um, and, I, and, what I'm, and I want to make sure that I say this. It's not towards the non-believing lost world. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we have to do the tough things and the uncomfortable things for our brothers and sisters. We do. Because Paul did it. And I'm going to read some things that Paul had to do because it was a necessary thing because he wanted the health of his flock, of the people that were coming to Jesus. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. He says, So I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. For if I cause you grief, who will make me glad? Certainly no, not someone I have grieved. That is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, 
I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from you being joyful. I wrote this letter in great anguish, with, uh, with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much I love and uh, how much love I have for you. And in this, you see a kind of an amazing, the amazing heart of Paul, because First Corinthians was kind of like, hey, this is how you do church right, get on track, right? Second Corinthians is more of a personal letter. He's basically saying, this is why I said the things that I did. Here's my heart behind it. And if you read this, right, he's talking about this painful visit, whatever it was, right? Um, he's talking about this letter that he had to write. And how did he write it? With great anguish. He had, he had tears. He's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do any, I don't want to cause you grief, but I have to say this. I have to do the tough thing. And whatever this painful visit was, I'm sure, you know, he went, what happened was, here's the history of it. He wrote 1 Corinthians, and what happened was he went to go visit Corinth again, and it was a, this painful visit, which means he had to deal with sin, he had to deal with problems, he had to have all these meetings with people, and it wasn't this fun, joyous time with, with brothers and sisters in the Lord. It was painful. And then he said, you know what, afterwards I heard it was still going on, then I had to write this letter. And if you're wondering what letter that was, it, it's not in any of the, it's not in the Bible, it's not... 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians is actually, it was actually uh, 1.5 Corinthians. It was like in the middle of it, he wrote this letter. I kind of, I'm interested to read what this letter says. Maybe I went to Kevin, heaven, like, hey, Paul, you got that letter? Like, I want, what, what did you say, you know? Um, but it's not 1 or 2 Corinthians. But um, it, was, it was a tough letter. And one thing I can learn from Paul is that why did he do this? He did it out of love. He didn't do it just to confront, you know? I mean, I know there's some people here, don't raise their hand, that you just love to confront because you're like, ooh, I'm going to get them. You know, you, you want, you want, you like, you have those zingers, like right before your meeting, I'm going to say this. I'm going to ooh, yeah, yep, yep, that's going to hurt them real bad. That's going to be a, a stinger, right? How many guys confront to confront? Come on. Okay, nobody here. Okay, all right, somebody. Nice. Yeah, you're brave enough to actually admit that. Okay. <laughs> Um, he's not doing that. He's saying, you know what, I, I, I don't want to cause you unnecessary grief, but I, I want to do it out of love. And I, one, thing I, one thing I learned from Paul is, is that he confronted, he was honest because he loved them and he cared about them. And the opposite of that is if you don't confront, if you don't confront the things that are in front of you, well, I guess you don't really care. I mean, think about that. If, if you just see someone just falling and falling away and their life is just, you know, going to pot, and you're like, oh, okay, well, he, he can just choose his own life, and you just kind of watch it happen, then I guess, really, you really don't care. When I, when I became a pastor, I was hired in 99, somewhere around there. I was uh, hired as a junior high pastor, and I came, right, fresh out of college. I was in my, yep, hey, there's Brad, our, junior, our current junior high pastor. Yeah, let's give him props. He was a junior higher when I was a junior high pastor. Awesome. Uh, and uh, I want to say one thing actually with that is, not, I'm not bragging on myself, but I think it's pretty cool that uh, when I first became the junior high pastor, um, I had Mel Pereira in charge of the service. I had Trevor Fergie. I had Brad McKinney. It was all me, where, where they're at now. I'm not bragging or anything, but no, I'm just joking. But I'm proud of them. I am seriously, I'm proud of them. It's so amazing that the next generation, isn't that cool, is taking this church to another level, another place, because I'm an old fogey. So, but other, other than that, when I first became a pastor, 
Um, I had this attitude of, I just want to be their friend. I want them to like me. I want them, I want to be cool, right? And so I just, I put on the cool tom-tom, like, yeah, hey, right, you know, right on. And I didn't call any, I wasn't a pastor to them. I didn't keep them accountable. And so I was gathering people, and people were coming to the ministry, and it was growing, and it was getting exciting, but it was shallow. It, it was like no one was growing. These kids weren't getting excited about the Lord. They were just like, eh, Tom, he's pretty funny. You know, the church is kind of fun. But I was like, no, we're here for more than that. We, wanna, we want you to grow in the Lord. And, and God really convicted me. He's like, you know what? You got to step it up, man. You got to step it up. You got you to gotta, you gotta do some of the tough love things. You got to call them on, on unacceptable behavior. You got to really, you know, sometimes you're not your friend. Sorry, you're a 29-year-old and they're 13. They're, they're, they're not your friend. They, they weren't. They weren't my friend. They were just here to have fun with each other. I'm like, you got to pastor them, Tom. You got to mentor them. You got to disciple them. I'm like, okay, I will. And so I started in little increments. And I know this is kind of a funny thing, but the first thing I started, I'm like, you know, I'm going to call, I, I remember this kid, he would, he would come to my mini church every single week, but he just smelled really bad. Like he would play basketball every time I would, before I picked him up. He was just really, really bad. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call on his smelliness. You know what? And so I bought a bottle of Febreze. And the, the, the day I picked him up to mini church, he was playing basketball outside. I'm like, ooh, he's going to be really stink. I know this. So basically, I'm all, dude, you know what, man? You stink. People are leaving my mini church because of you. I have this bottle of Febreze. You are not coming in my car unless I spray you down right now. So I went, shh, shh, shh. I sprayed him down. Actually, his nickname for a little bit was Febreze. We called him Febreze. <laughs> like, what's up, Febreze? How you doing, man? He's all, oh, man, yeah. I smell pretty good now, okay? Um, but that's a funny story where, like, you know, I started, I started, there was, like, I got, had tough love on these kids. And so God grew me up, and I, I, started, I started really mentoring people the way, you know, we're supposed to be. I, I had to call people. And there was this one kid, you know, just recently, um, I, you know, I poured my life into this kid. I mean, he, I saw him get saved. Um, I saw him grow in the Lord. He was maturing. Um, he was getting all excited about the Lord. He's coming to mini church every week. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to pour in this kid. I'm going to invest in him. And then a couple, you know, a couple months went down the road, and a year passed by, and I saw his life just kind of, he got quiet at many church. Um, he wasn't coming around as much. I would, I noticed on his Facebook page, he was like, you know, had another girlfriend going. I'm like, dude, what, what's going on? And I, I kind of saw him like, you're slipping. And, and, and at that moment, right, we have a decision to make. Do I just let him go because, well, it's his life. He can choose whatever he wants. Or I, I, I spent all this time making sure that he grows in the Lord, I better say something. So I remember after mini church, I, like, I prayed about him. I'm like, hey, Lord, you want me to say something? He, yeah, do it. You have to tell him the truth. So after mini church, I just, hey, man, can I talk to you? And we talked. And, you know, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, um, <laughs> and I think it's Jesus that says it, <laughs> is, uh, it says to be, um, to be as, as shrewd as a serpent, but as wise as a dove. Have you guys heard this? this uh, scripture before, is that when you, when you approach someone in this way, is that you would be sharp as a serpent, which means you would, you would say the things that you need to say, the truthful things, but also pepper it with love and grace and mercy. And so I tried to do that with this guy, and I thought I did it really well, and I'm like, okay, good, I said what I needed to say, um, I, I said it straight to him, I said it with love, and what happened? Gone. Just left the church. He didn't come to mini church anymore. He kind of went to Stokes a couple nights, and he dropped out. I messaged him on Facebook. I mean, dude, how are you doing, man? I haven't seen you in a while. No response. And so it was one of those, like, I guess he doesn't want to talk to me. I guess, 
man, did I say the wrong thing? Did I chase him away from church? And it was one of those, like, God, what, did, I, did I do the right thing? Shouldn't I, have, should I have said that? And God's like, absolutely. Because he was already going down that path. He'd still be there anyway. He was choosing it. But you got to share your heart. Actually, you got to share my heart. That I love him. I care for him. I, don't, I want the best for him. And where he's going was, was not a place where he should go. And this is not a perfect story, right? Because he's still out there, actually. He's still out there. And I still pray for him. I still love him. I still care for him. Actually, there's a little plus. Um, I actually saw him recently. He came to Collision. Came to Collision. Yeah. Came to the collision, and not, nothing's ever, not, nothing's perfect, but he, I was worshiping, and he tapped me on the shoulder. What? What's up, dude? You know, and I saw him after, I was like, hey, dude, dude what? What are you doing here? He's all, collision. All right. Well, glad you're here, you know? And I just said it right on, that he's on the way back. There's something going on in his life, so pray for him, even though you don't know who he is. Um, but isn't that, that's what we're called to do, right? Are, are you guys hearing me? Am I saying this right? We are. We are called sometimes to do the uncomfortable, tough thing. But you know what? If we are supposed to be life givers, right? Nurses and doctors, right? This is a hospital. If we're supposed to be do that, I really believe this. That we can't just be good life givers. We got to be good life receivers. And what I mean by that is, is that we should be open enough to surround ourselves with people that are going to be honest with us. We got to be on that, that we have friends that go, you know what? Do call me on stuff. Can you keep me accountable for this? I've had great mini churches. Some of my best friends that I've had in the world is that we've confessed sin to each other. Dude, I'm struggling with this. Ooh, I'm struggling with that too. I'm like, dude, let's check up on each other then. Let's keep each other accountable. Let's call each other. Dude, how you doing? Uh, not so good. Or how you doing? Dude, good. Awesome week. And I've seen people get delivered of stuff. I have my friend who basically quit smoking, right? He's like, dude, you smoking? Yeah. Call him again. You smoking? No. I haven't smoked for two months. Dude, I'm cured. That's happened in my life. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That we would be friends like that. You would surround, that you would be a life receiver. Why? Because I know in my life, I'm just talking personally, I I had to learn to be a good life receiver because I would get mad at the people calling me on stuff. Anybody with me? You like get mad at them, like, dude, Tom, you're doing this. What? I can do that if I want. Right? I would have a stink attitude. Like behind their back, I'm like, oh, man, that guy's always busting my chops or whatever it is, right? Um, there's this one time when I was, uh, I was going to UH, and I was parked in Manoa Valley all the time, and so I had this great idea, you know what, I'm going to get to class faster, I'm going to skateboard to my class. And so I got my skateboard, and I was going down all these hills, I'm going really, really fast, and I took this turn, and this car came up right in the street. When I took the turn, this car came up, and like full on screeching, right? I jump off my board, my board starts flying away, and I see these people, they're like, what are you doing, you idiot kid? What? Like, they're like all mad. It's like an elderly Japanese people, so to get them riled up, it had to be something really strong. I was like, whoa, sorry. Yeah, they were. They were just like, you know, quiet elderly. They almost killed me, but it was my fault. And they're like, dude, what are you doing? I can't believe it. They're all shocked. And you know what? Because they were mad, you know how I reacted? I got mad. You know what I did? I literally did this. I'm all, what? I had, my, I had both my hands out, like, what? I can skateboard to my death if I want. Why? <laughs> I was like, I was totally arguing with them, and like their face was just like, what? what? Like, <laughs> like, we almost killed you. Like, well, you're, what? Like, literally, and I walked away thinking I won the argument. I was like, yeah, take that. You know, I was like that. 
But you know what happened, right? I never skateboarded down again, the hill again. I have totally learned my lesson, but I was like, so stupid, like so arrogant, like, yeah, that's right, go drive your car, you know? <laughs> I was like, but don't we do that sometimes to people that call us on stuff, that we get mad, that we're not good life receivers? And what I want to tell you, if you surround your friends with godly people, that's what mini church is all about. That you have good people in mini church that go, dude, you're messing up here, come on. And you, don't, you wouldn't go, ah, be quiet, but you don't know anything. That you'd be like, well, really? Do I need to work on stuff? Because sometimes we're so blinded in our own, right? We get so, but we have to admit, I'm standing here as someone that's, well, dude, sometimes I'm blinded. I need, I need good counsel. I need good opinions to go, ooh, yeah, maybe you should do it this way. Like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Surround, be good life receiver. Um, I want to say this is that, you know, God had to work at this in my life because of the fact that I'm a pastor today. I am still a pastor because people kept me accountable, called me on stuff. One of the great times that I got called on stuff was by the person that actually hired me. Uh, how many of you guys know Pastor Mike Kai from Hope Chapel West Oahu? Great pastor. And I believe he's a great pastor today because he does this. He, he does the tough love thing. He does the the good love thing, but he also calls people. He's like, you know what? You got to do this. This is for the kingdom here. And so there was one time I was messing up. I wasn't in sin or anything. I was just organizationally, I was just really bad. You know, like Ralph, Ralph Moore made me buy, Pastor Ralph made me buy a Palm Pilot. Anybody remember the Palm Pilot? He's all, get organized, son. Like, like okay, mm, you little stylist thing, whatever it was, you know. Um, I had to get organized. And there was just things I wasn't doing well, and the ministry was kind of falling apart, even though kids loved it. I wasn't doing stuff right. So I remember he sat me down, and there was like a table in front of in the middle of us, and he's like, he's just laying it on me. And I remember my, I had a bad attitude the first time. I'm like, Mike, ah, what do you think you're busting my chop? You don't know. You don't know junior hires like I know junior hires. You're not as cool as it. Seriously, this is going through my head, I promise. And I was just like, had a bad attitude. Then I remember him just saying, you know what? You might get fired, man. This is, you get one more strike. We, we might have to fire you. And he brought it to that level, which I deserved, clearly, absolutely deserved it. And in that moment, I was sitting there going, you know what? I was asking myself, am I called to do this? And the answer was yes. And I asked God, should I step it up? And God's all, yeah. Mike is telling you to step it up. You better step it up. And I just said, okay, you know what? I'm going to step it up. And I'm going to tell you this. At the end of that meeting, I was crying like a little girl. I was. I, I literally was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Mike. I was like. I don't want to mess up. I'll do. I'll make you proud, man. I'll make you proud. I was crying. I was bawling. I was like, dude, don't fire me, please. Um, but he's all, you know what? Yeah, of course. There's grace and love. And he's like, dude, yeah, just do it, man. I believe in you. I mean, I'm no, he, he's the one that hired me. He believed in me. And uh, I thank Ma Pastor Mike for, for being that tough guy for me. Um, I'm here today because of it. And in, in Psalm 141, verse 5, it says this. And I think this is a great attitude. It's a great attitude of a, of a good life receiver. It says, let the godly strike me. How's that? He's saying, I want godly people, and if I'm messing up, hit me right in the face. Let the godly strike me. It, it will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is a soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. So, uh, Proverbs 9 verse 8 says this. So don't bother striking mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. Do you want to learn more? Do you always want to be teachable? Yeah. If you want to be considered a wise person, 
Basically, it's saying this, the wives always are learning. I'll, I'm standing here before you going, I, I want to keep on uh, learning. I want to learn more. I want to be teachable, right? I don't want to come to a place going, yep, I know it all, because we don't. There's no way we can know it all. God knows it all, and we got to tap into that instead. Um, I want to go to verse 5, and it says this. It says, I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and uh, comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. So that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. And so here, here's the background. Here's a guy that was causing all the trouble, all the hurt. Here's a guy that was causing the painful visit. He was the reason why Paul had to go there, have all these confrontations, do the tough thing, do the confrontational thing. But for the health of the, of the church, he went over there and it was a painful visit. It was a painful letter. And this guy was, in the, was the cause of it. And I don't, know, I don't know what the discipline was. I don't know what they did. But here he says, now here's the time that we forgive and comfort him. And one thing I want to say, and that's the second point, is when you do stuff like this, if, you, if we are life givers, if we're supposed to do the tough thing, that your goal is not to get them, is not to make them feel bad or make them cry. The goal is restoration. The absolute goal is restoration because love always provides a way back. Always. Jesus Christ is proof of that. Love always provides a way back. And I want to say even in the, t- the toughest times, even in the harshest circumstances, right? I'll, I'll tell you a, a harsh circumstance, right? It says in the Bible that there's going to be a point if a person doesn't want to repent, if you meet with them and they don't repent, and then you meet with other church elders and, they don't, and he still doesn't repent, there will be a time where you have to hand that person over to Satan. Isn't that a harsh thing to do? Yeah, I have to hand you over to Satan. But even in that situation, even in that extreme um, situation, the restoration is still the goal. It still is, right? I mean, it actually says this in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. This is the very scripture talking about it. It says, then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and get this, and he himself will be saved on the day that the Lord returns. Right here, Paul is saying, you know what? There has to be a time when you hand someone over to Satan because they don't want repentance, they don't want, to, they don't want to listen to you. Well, then you just let them go. You're not going, I'm going to hand you over to Satan, you burn. Go, you know? What it really is is, man, I got no choice. I have to hand you over to Satan. And what he's really saying is that if I hand you over to Satan, hopefully... You hit rock bottom so fast that you're going to come back and you're going to come back to me. Now, how many guys love the story of the prodigal son? Amen. An amazing story. I don't want to go through the whole story, but what happened was the prodigal son dropped his whole inter- inheritance. He said, bye, Dad. Uh, thank you for all the riches. I'm going to take it and go. I forget you. Ended up partying and everything, but where did he end up? He ended up sleeping with the pigs. He ended up sleeping with the, the pig poop. And he was sleeping, and he's like, dude, I just i got to get back. And what did he do? He went back to the father. And if you guys know the story, what did the father do? 
Did the father say, oh, that dirty smelling, no, son of mine? What did he say when he, came, when he saw him in the distance? What did he say? Get the party started. Get the party started. Get the tents up. Go roast that pig because we are starting the party. My son is returning. I am, I am with open arms to welcome my son back. Love always provides a way. Amen? And restoration is the goal, even in the worst circumstances. And um, the thing with restoration, I think there's two things that have to happen. Two things. Forgiveness and repentance. If we want restoration to happen with the people that we love, I had to deal, I had to talk to some people out there after the last week's uh, last uh, service, and they're like, dude, there's something, we got we to do the same thing. There's, there has to be forgiveness and repentance. I'm like, yep, there has to be. There has to be these two things that are going on. Uh, forgiveness, who's the forgiveness for? For us. It's for the people that, that, that called that person on it. It's the victim, right? Are you hearing me? Okay. What forgiveness does, right? Forgiveness does, doesn't, doesn't justify what they did. What it does, it releases you uh, of them, of, of what they did to you, of that harm or that sin or that problem. You're releasing them so that they won't affect you anymore. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's, it's letting them go. And if, seriously, Get, I, want, I want you guys to make sure you get this straight. That we don't wait for repentance, then to forgive. That we can forgive without them for, for, uh, repenting. Because seriously, I have a lot of people in my life that should say sorry to me, that should come back and go, I'm so sorry, Tom. But if I waited to forgive them before they repented, I would be a very bitter person right now. I would be uh, angry. I, I wouldn't have the right to stand up here and, and teach this. I would be like, no, can you have someone else teach? Because I, I'm pretty angry and upset at some people. There's some people out there, handfuls of them, not because of what I did. <laughs> this is what they did. But I forget, I'm like, you know what? I have to, I got to forgive you. I have to let you go, right? I, I want to be healed, and I don't want to be affected by bitterness and anger, and I don't want Satan to have a foothold of me. Amen. And you're letting that person go. So that forgiveness is for you. Repent, uh, repentance is for them. Repentance is to restore them back to God. Repentance is to restore them back to fellowship and brothers and sisters, right? And what repentance is, is a very simple um, definition. Repentance literally means to turn around. And so, for example, if someone's in sin and they get called on sin, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. And they go, nope, I'm going to still do it anyway. Okay, well, we're going to take it to the elders, take it to the church, a bunch of people and go, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, nope, I am still going to do that. I'm still going to walk in my sin. And so they go sin, and they live their life, and, you know, and stuff happens, and they, they look at it and go, this is horrible, the place that I've been in. Lord, I need to come back to you. And what they do is they turn around. It's a 180, and they go back. That's what repentance literally means. And I'm going to go back to the godly wisdom. I'm going to go back to Jesus, back to the fellowship, and go, whoa. And when people do that, I promise you, that is an amazing thing. Repentance is a powerful, amazing thing. There are people in my life that have burned me, burned this church very heavily, and I am friends with them today. Why? Because there was forgiveness and repentance. There's an amazing story that I have, and I'm going to tell you this is, you know, if you, want, if you like confrontation, become a pastor. Because we deal with people, and we deal with a lot of confrontation. This is a story of my, a good friend of mine, a person that I surf with, Someone I talked with, someone, it was a good friend of mine for years and, and is now. It's a good, good ending to this. But there was a point in this guy's life, he was in sin, um, he, wasn't, he wasn't in the right mind, he was taking advantage of people, he did some stuff. We, I confronted him personally, that didn't work, he got sneakier, 
he got caught, actually. He got caught. We got into this big, huge thing with like 20 people. We had to confront this guy. We totally did the right thing to tough love, whatever it was. He had a sign of repentance, but actually left the meeting and got worse, right? So at that point, this is one of the people in my life that I actually had to hand over to Satan. I actually had to do this. I said, I, I hand you over to Satan because really I don't know what to do anymore. You're not repentant. You don't want to change. You want to live your life. And look, you're taking people down with you. Uh, I'm going to be responsible for the people that's in my life. Bye-bye. And it got so bad that this guy had to be disinvited from this church. And if he ever came up, this is my friend, by the way, right? If he ever came up here, we would actually call the police. It was that bad. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing um, at that time. He got worse. He hit rock bottom. Moved to California. Got some help. Got into a good church. He got married. About three years ago, he actually gave me a call. The first contact I've had with him since then. Gave me a call. So, hey, what's up, man? Come on. Whoa, hey. How are you? Dude, I just want to say I'm sorry, man. Can you forgive me? I'm like, absolutely. I forgive you, man. And I want to say one thing. It wasn't, this is not, you know, it's like, oh, that's great for you, Tom. That sounds like a perfect, it wasn't a perfect story. Because at that point, I still didn't trust him. And one thing you got to know is forgiveness doesn't mean trust. You don't let that person into your, no, you don't forgive them. I forgive you, and you let them come into your life and then hurt you some more. No, you got to be wise, right? It's like trust is a different thing than forgive. You can forgive, but not trust. And so I was like, hey, all right on, man. Well, you got to prove it. And then over the years, seriously, over the, like the last three years, we've talked. He's called me again. We've gone on Facebook. And guess what, man? I, we're good friends. We joke around. And if he came back, I would go surfing with him. The power of repentance and forgiveness, huh? Is it, it's a powerful thing that people can come back into your life even though they've done some pretty horrible things. If these things are in place, then, then God's saying, you know what? It's time to forgive and com comfort him. Um, Let's go to verse 12. And it says this, When I came to the city of Troash to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me, but I had no peace of mind because of uh, my dear brother Titus hadn't yet arrived with a report from you. So I said goodbye, and I went to uh, Macedonia to find him. Basically, the scripture is basically saying Titus was uh, Paul's version of uh, email and Facebook. and Because he had to hand the letter to Titus, and Titus had to you know, deliver it, and he was waiting for his you know, to come back. So that's what that is. In verse 14, it says this, but thank God, he, God, has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal pr procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this. And so what's this all about? And I want to say one thing. I think this is a beautiful picture of Christ and his bride and, the, and his followers. And I think you're going, whoa, what does that mean? Well, basically, in the Roman days, in the Roman Empire, the generals and the people who went to war, they would take, take their soldiers out and to, to take province, province, they would go to a town, they would kill people, you know, kill the people there and, and gather all the loot and take the prisoners that were still alive and they would take everything back to where they began 
and they would put them in a line, and they would they have these incense things going, the smell, whatever it is, um, and they would have this procession, this parade of everything that they just captured, all the all the uh, the live you know livestock and all the people, and they would just walk in this parade in town and basically. Victory is ours. Look at all these people. And that's what they did. They were bragging. They were basically showing off. And you're going, Tom, that, I don't like that. That's kind, of, that's kind of depressing. What are you talking about? But if you really think about it, how did Christ capture us? How did we become a slave to Jesus Christ? How did he do it? He died on the cross for us. He gave his own life. He won sin and death over by raising from the dead three days later. He, he did it by giving himself up. He didn't kill our family or friends like the, the Roman generals did. He conquered Satan and sin. Right? Are you guys hearing me? That's how he captured us. He won us by his blood. We are his slave. We are ca- like, thank you, Lord. Right? He pulled us out of this pit of destruction where, this, where the enemy was our, was our master. He set us free. He took us and he took us back. And think, this is such an amazing thing. He's taking us back. He's coming back into town and going, look at my children. I'm so proud of these guys. Look at this triumphal pro- procession that I have following me here. Smell that? That's the smell of victory. That's the smell of life. I was, uh, you know, don't you guys love worship here? Yeah. I mean, I love worshiping here. I hope you guys do too. Uh, when, when we sing that song, the last couple of services we sang, you guys got to help me here. What's that song we just sang, the last song? No, not that one. The one. 10,000. How's it go? Oh, the Lord's booty. Oh, the Lord. Yeah. Oh, the Lord. Bless the Lord on my soul. <laughs> Woo. Okay, let me take another drink of water. Bless the Lord on my soul. Oh, my soul. And I'm singing that. And I was thinking about the procession. It, it's kind of like while we worship here, we're in a procession with Jesus Christ. It's like he's leading us, right? And we're just like, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, isn't that cool? I don't know. I think it's cool. And we're worshiping. We're like, come on. We're part of this victory parade. And we're just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're giving off this life-giving thing. And you know what the most awesome thing about it is like the people watching this procession is like, oh, man, what's going on here? And for some people... It doesn't smell good. Why? Because like, oh, Jesus, oh, that, you use that as a crutch? Dude, I believe in myself, right? So to those people, it's like, no, oh, that stinks. But to people that, that look like, bless the Lord, we're walking and we're in the procession. Like, dude, I want some of that. And people just joining in, right? Joining in the procession. They're like, I'm part of it now. And it's kind of cool. It's like maybe some of you guys don't know Jesus Christ right now. And you're experiencing something in this church. You're going, what's going on here? And you're, you're going, you feel this inkling, like, I want to I wanna be a Christian. I want to be born again. And basically, you're just going, I want to be a part of this. And you're just joining the parade. And as we go, as we keep on walking, it keeps growing. Right? Are you guys with me? We're part of this procession. I think it's a glorious, a glorious picture of, of us that God is so proud of us. He's showing, um, he's showing off his children, his followers. And he says this, and that's why we're life givers, guys. He, he's empowered us to do this. And the last verse, in verse 17, it says this, you see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach the, for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity, with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. I think these, 
three things that Paul leaves this chapter with is amazing. He's saying, if you want to be a life giver, if you want to be a good life giver, if you want to do the tough thing that needs to be done, if you want to be a nurse and a doctor, right, if you want this place to be a hospital, not a, a hotel, we got to be sincere. We got to know Christ's authority, and we got to know God is watching. And what the sincere thing is, is that we do it with love. Even when we have to confront someone, that we do it in love. We're not trying to get them. We're not doing it in anger, or we just want to spite them and, oh, you're handing over to Satan. It's this, no, man, I care about you. I'm your friend. Right? It's, just, it's a sincere heart. It's, we're doing it because we believe it, because we know the transforming power in our hearts can be the same power that's going to transform that person that we're talking to. Are you guys hearing me? That we do it with sincere hearts, that we believe it. The other thing is that we stand and we, we're life givers because we know Christ's authority that he has given us. And that what that means is, is that we know that God has our back when we have to do the tough things, when we have to give life when it doesn't, when it doesn't seem comfortable. That we, when we do the tough, we have, we have God's authority, we have God's backing, and also we have God's power. We have the Holy Spirit that can enable us to say things. There was a guy at the back, I'm, it, uh, I helped him a little bit, I was praying with him, and at the back after the last service, he came to me, he's like, dude, thank you for helping me, but guess what I, I got to do? I got to help someone else. And I, I'm not even in a position to help him, but for some reason when I was talking to him, God just gave me words. And it just helped me. I'm like, you're absolutely right. God does have your back. You are empowered. There's this one kid in my mini church. When um, we talked about spiritual gifts, how many of you guys were here when we talked about spiritual gifts in first chapter, first Corinthians 12, about the spiritual gifts, gift of wisdom, gift of knowledge, gift of prophecy, gift of faith, gift of tongues, and all of that. And um, so basically in mini church, I was like sitting there, I'm like, hey, do you know your spiritual gift? You know, do you have any spiritual gifts? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know if I have spiritual gifts. So in my brain, I'm going, ooh, you're going to find out today. I'm going to do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do something. And so um, I just say, hey, you want to you try it? If you want to get the gift of wisdom or knowledge, you want to try that? He's like, yeah, sure. Okay, well, try it on me. And he's just like, oh, what, what, what do I do? And so I started explaining this. I'm like, well, you know what? Why don't we just pray right now? And I'm just going to wait and see if the Lord, should, we're going to ask the Lord to reveal anything for me that you want to reveal. And he might give this to you, right? That's, that's, it's in the Bible. It says, First Corinthians 12, that you will receive these things to, to help the body. So I'm like, dude, try it on me. And mini church is the, is the best place to try this kind of stuff. Is that it's safe, right? Because he could be absolutely wrong, but I'm not going to hate him for it, right? But if he's right, if, if it's from God, then that's great. And so I'm explaining this whole thing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray. We're going to spend a little bit of time uh, seeking the Lord. And if you get anything, and like literally mid-sentence, he was like, I got something. He like looked at me, he's like, I got to, I, I was really intrigued at that point. I'm like, ooh, really? What, what do you got? You know, and he's just like, he gave it to me and he gave me this word. And I was like, that's absolutely from the Lord. I was so stoked. I was like, wow, man, that, that is so from God. Thank you so much. That, that really encouraged me. And I was like saying, dude, you, that was like the gift of knowledge. You just gave me the gift of knowledge. I, thank you so much. And I said, like, dude, how do you feel right now? And he gave me this like weird look. He's just like, I'm a little freaked out right now. To be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a little freaked out. And that was a confirmation to me that was absolutely from God. He's just like, dude, he basically was saying, that wasn't from me. I just got it. My, I just gave it to you. Like, take it. You know, he's like, I'm freaked out right now. He was freaked out by what? By the power of God. By the power of God that gave him the authority to do so. And I want to tell you guys, you have the same power. Isn't that amazing? That we, as life givers, that we stand in Christ's authority. And the, second, the third thing that Paul tells us, the last thing, he says that you would know that God is watching you. Now, this is a heavy thing. And I look at, these, I look at God watching us in two ways. 
I look at, the first thing is that if we're in his parade, if he, we're in his procession, he's so proud. He's like watching us going, dude, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking up your cross. Thank you so much for following me. Thank you so much for, for sacrificing the things you sacrificed for my name to make me famous. Thank you so much. I am so proud of you. I know, I know Jesus is doing that. The other thing is God is watching us, which means he expects us to be life givers. That he's going to keep us accountable to be life givers. That on the day of judgment, right, I just want to tell you straight, on the day of judgment, we're going to stand before him. He's like, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you double the two talents that I gave you? Or did you bury it in the sand? I don't know about you, but I want to double it. I don't want to bury it. I don't want to bury it. And I want to tell you guys, I want to, I want to, I want to ask you one thing. Are we life givers? Yes. We absolutely are. And seriously, do it with sincerity. Do it with God's power because he has it. He has it for you. It's waiting. It's waiting. It's like, boom, use it. That's what, that was my hope for my, the guy in the mini church. I, my hope wasn't to just give me a word. My hope is like, dude, you have a gift. Go out there and give it to somebody else. Do it. You are a life giver. And that we do it because God is watching it, watching us because we have a fear of the Lord. But we also have this joy that we are in this processional that we're, that we're enjoying and giving off this life-giving incense, this life-giving fragrance to people. Let's be that. Uh, with that, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of um, just the, the opportunity for us to be life givers, Lord. You could have done it all by yourself. You could have conquered death and sin and said, yep, I'll do everything. Don't worry about it. You don't have to do anything. And, uh, but you actually said, you know what? I'm going to use you. You're going to use us. You're going to empower us to be your witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That is such a privilege. That is such an honor. I just thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I pray for every single one of us that we go, you know what? I want to be a life giver. I'm tired of hoarding the gifts that you've given me. I want to give it out. I pray that we would all be there, God. And for those that see us and watch us, that they would see this procession of victory and would want to join in would go, you know what, I need to be a part of that because whatever they have, I don't have, I need that. And we would see this procession grow one by one, save soul by save soul. And that would be an amazing thing, God. And I want to give an opportunity for anyone to join the parade right now, to join the procession. If you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ before, saying that I am your child, that I believe what you did on the cross, that you died for me, that you gave your life just for me, that you rose again from the grave three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that, I, I want to say that I believe in you, Jesus Christ, that you did this all for me. If you've never done that and want to say that to Jesus, if you want to be a part of what God is doing and become a Christian, become born again, well, I want to give you an opportunity to do that really quick. I'm just going to say a prayer in about 30 seconds, but I just want you to tell me that you're going to be praying with me. That this morning I will commit my life to the Lord. I will be a follower of Jesus Christ. So here we go. I'm going to count to three. And if you want that, just raise your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Does anybody want to become a Christian this morning? Anybody? One. Anybody else? 
looking around. Anybody else? All right, we got one safe soul. It's an amazing thing. All right, say this prayer like it's your own. Lord Jesus, I come before you right now. I thank you so much for what you've done for me. You've died on the cross for me. You've given your life. I am cleansed by your blood. Lord, forgive me. Right now, I make you my Lord, my Savior, my friend, and my King. I give you my life. I will follow you. I thank you, and I love you. In Jesus' precious name, we all say amen. 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 All right, yeah, give it a hand for that person. Thank you, Tom.